Hi and hello, Watch fans. Welcome to episode 61 of Fratello On Air, otherwise known as Wasp 9.3. After spending the last three weeks rummaging around in our mailbag, we're returning to the world of sports to provide you with a quick whiz around the American sports leagues to keep you abreast of news and developments in the NBA, NHL, MLB and NFL. Let's welcome our very own traveling troubadour all the way from Hungary to the smooth booth, the housewife's favorite half, the fridge and freezer duo, Balaj. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Rob. Good to be here. Yeah, fridge is fine. Fridge is fine. How's freezer? Fine. Freezer is also fine. Yes, I am in a bit of a deep freeze today. I've uh, gone all the way into, into the locker to get the extra energy I need to keep on working. There'll be some very current news flying around today. We're going to start off with Balaj in the NBA. How does that sound to you? Sounds good, man. Right. There's, a, there's, a, there's a lot happening in the NBA right now. First and foremost, we are very close to the playoffs and the play-ins, right? Right. If you look at the, the standings right now, you can see that on the West Coast, the play-in tournament will be between the Memphis Grizzlies and the San Antonio Spurs. And the odds are with Memphis, right? So the other play-in team or the other play-in pair will be the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. And that favors the Lakers. So that means that the Lakers will get into the playoff automatically. And then the loser, which is the Golden State Warriors, will play with the winner of Memphis San Antonio, which again, as I said, favors Memphis. And then the winner of Memphis Golden State will get the last, the eighth seed in the Western Conference. And then that would mean that we'll have the Utah Jazz playing against either Memphis or Golden State, the Clippers against Dallas, Denver against Portland, and then Phoenix against the LA Lakers. That's the West Coast. What do you think about that? I think there's a lot of tasty matchups there, and I think this new play-in system is absolutely brilliant. I love it. A lot of the leagues are messing around with their formats due to COVID-19 and the uh, restrictions placed upon the teams and their ability to travel uh, as such. And I think this is one of the most creative and engaging uh, entries into the playoffs we've ever seen, because I always get a bit tired of these lower playoff seeds. I don't have much time for seven or eight seeds normally and i certainly don't like in the nfl have expanded the playoffs to seven teams per conference uh, i really don't like it at all i think that there should be fewer teams in the playoffs not more although mm-hmm. revenues speak louder than uh, than sense or sporting purity perhaps but between the seven and ten spot we have some interesting teams tasty teams you know big names like the lakers and the warriors obviously account for uh, the majority and of the dispersed. And the Spurs, of course, yeah. I mean, there you go. That's that's a huge amount of the titles this century um, spread between those three teams. Yep. So that's uh, interesting stuff. The Grizzlies are a compelling team. I would like to see them um, make it somehow. It, there's a, obviously only one way they can, and that's to win two games in a row. Just to recap on how this playing system works, the seven and eight seeds, uh, as it stands, go head-to-head. The winner goes straight into the seven slot. The nine and ten seeds go head-to-head, and the winner of that plays the loser of the first game, and the winner of that game gets the eight slot. So we could have a real jumble here. Uh, could be could be any of them, really, making it through. Uh, the only scenario that doesn't wash is Memphis and San Antonio getting into the playoffs, but we could have any combination uh, thereafter. What's interesting right. for me is when you look at these uh, win-loss records of the teams, you've got the Lakers on 42 wins and 30 losses, riding a five-game win streak uh, at this point of the season. You've got the Warriors on 39-33, having won six in a row to really give themselves a bit of, a bit of breathing space between the Grizzlies, who've won 38 and lost 34. And then you go all the way down to the Spurs in the 10 spot. They have a losing record. They've got a 0.458 percentage. 33 wins and 39 losses, having lost four. Now, talk about backing into the playoffs. They only ousted the Pelicans by two games, uh, as it happens, who also had a terrible end to the season. So when it comes to form, you've got to fancy the 7 and 8, the Lakers and the Warriors, to make it in there one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope that, the, that that's going to be the outcome. You know, the Lakers obviously will well, not obviously, would probably dominate the Golden State Warriors this year. If everybody's healthy, for sure there's not health, or if he's back, LeBron's back, and Anthony Davis is back. 
And then between Golden State and whoever is going to be the winner of the ninth and 10th, so either Memphis or San Antonio, possibly Memphis, then I'd love to see Golden State coming in the eighth seed. This is not going to be Golden State year, of course, but I don't even think it's going to be the Lakers' season, to be honest. And that's only the West Western Conference. We haven't even talked about the Eastern Conference. Well, yeah, let's let's stick with the West a little while longer because I think the Eastern Conference really ends the discussion of who's going to be the champion when all's said and done. I do think that the Utah Jazz, even though they only have a one-game advantage over the Suns, are the class of this conference. And I would be very surprised, actually, if we saw anything but the Suns against the Jazz in the Western Conference Finals. How do you feel about that? Yeah, there's a possibility. The Utah Jazz is really good. Yeah, the team's really good this year. My favorite is not, I don't really have a favorite to, to begin with, but I don't prefer that team. Let's be honest here. I, I like how Dallas plays. I like to watch Portland playing. I like Golden State, Lakers. Um, I'm not really a fan of the Utah Jazz. Having said that, they're, they're actually brilliant. Um, and they're number one. And Dallas that I just mentioned is number five and Portland is number six. So it's going to be interesting, but you never know in the playoffs, right? You never know. Anything can happen. Right, anything can happen. And um, Dallas are in, I think, a pretty nice position right now. Record-wise, they are tied with the Trailblazers. They're both on 42-30. Then they get to play the Clippers in the fourth seed. There's a jump between the Mavericks and the Clippers of five games, which is you know a, a really significant drop-off. The Jazz are on 52 wins. The Suns are on 51. The Nuggets and the Clippers are both on 47 apiece as well. And then there's this big drop-off to the Mavericks and the Blazers and the Lakers, all identical records. I think that Dallas will be rubbing their hands with glee because I think that they can take out the Clippers. But thereafter, I don't fancy their chances of going any further. We'll see. That's a that's a good team. It has some, some pretty amazing players. But yes, when you pair them up against the Utah Jazz, it's probably going to be a Mormon State win instead of the Lone Star. I think so. And obviously, the Jazz don't have a very glorious record in the finals. But no. I can't see them finally getting over the hump and uh, and winning the title this year, but I, I do think that they will give whoever they might face from the East, should they make it to the final series, a really good run for their money. So, have you got any more Western comments, or should we swing over to the East? No, let's let's uh, let's chat over to the East Coast because we have some pretty interesting teams over there as well. Yeah. Starting with the first one, which is well, top of the table is. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. That's interesting because uh, the Brooklyn Nets is just two games behind them at the second place with uh, 48-24 and Philly's leading at 49-23. So Brooklyn is, it's a steam train going over everybody, it seems. So um, that's, that's a, you know, that's a pretty interesting uh, team out there with the new additions from from obviously uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were not too new anymore, but then um, James Harden is. But we also have some some candidates in the playing uh, tournament, as in Boston, Washington play seven and eight, and then Indiana on the ninth, and then Charlotte Hornets on the tenth. So again, anything can happen. If the predictions are correct, then Washington will win. I mean, sorry, uh, Boston will win. This duel against Washington and get straight to the to the seventh seed, and then the eighth seed will be between Washington and the winner of ninth and tenth, which is going to be between Indiana and Charlotte. And they say it's going to be Indiana who's going to play and then possibly triumph over Washington. Who knows? What do you think about that, though? I think the Pacers will uh, down the Wizards if they if they get past the Hornets, which I fancy them to. I think that the Pacers are perfectly position to knock off the Wizards and take that number eight seed. I do fancy the Celtics to hold on to the seven seed that they sit in right now. I think that they are a very good team. I think they've underperformed this year, actually, and I don't think their championship window is entirely shut. I really don't want to go as far as to say I think that the Celtics can surprise everybody, you, run the you table. Mean the Celtics window? Yeah, the Celtics window. Yeah, Dude, They're going to play against Brooklyn. That's over with. Yeah, I'm not saying that Celtics. I mean, as a team, you know, as as a as a unit for the last few years, they have been knocking on the door. They've always been there or thereabouts. They haven't managed to make it all the way. But I don't think that that team is dead in the water. I think they still have something to play for next season as well. But yeah, against the Nets, I mean, I I won't I won't uh, 
bury this any further. The Nets are my pick to win it all. And I don't think that is exactly a hot take. I think that this team, when you look at that lineup, for goodness sake, if everyone's healthy and everyone's on the, on the boards at the same time, it is, it's an all-star team. I mean, I believe, and I don't know this for a fact, but just thinking about these players, I can't think of a starting five that has ever taken to the court together with that many all-star appearances behind them that many accolades, individual and, and team. It's just unbelievable. I mean, let's not forget Blake Griffin is also on yep. this team now. And he was, he was a, a monster for his first few years with the Clippers and whatnot, and everybody thought he was the next great hope. But um, his career didn't pan out exactly as he wanted it to, but he's got a great chance towards the autumn of it to finally get a championship. So <laughs> who's going to stop him? Right. No, absolutely. You're right. I mean, uh Brooklyn is a very interesting team. They have Durant, they have Kyrie, they have um, uh, James Harden, as we said. But then they also have Blake Griffin. They also have DeAndre Jordan. They also have a, a lot of players on the bench. And they have Steve Nash as the head coach. And Steve Nash was uh, a tremendous player in his time. So, you know, he's he's it's his first season as a coach, and he's not a bad coach, I have to say. Of course, he's playing with with superstars but still I mean that's the thing isn't it it's sometimes hard to separate the coach from their superstar players and we've had this great uh, case study of Belichick and Brady in the NFL just this year past and um, even when it comes to the great Phil Jackson it's very difficult to really isolate how good a coach Jackson is considering he went from playing with Jordan and Pippen and then later Rodman and Kerr and then moved over to Shaq and and Kobe you know, the, the guy won uh, 11 championships as a coach and yet never played with, uh, you know, nameless players. There was always superstars, always under Jackson's reign. And here's Nash, uh, first year as a coach. I mean, we could have said the same thing about Steve Kerr when he took over Golden State. True. He walked into a generational uh, grouping of talented individuals. And yeah, he guided them to what was it? He won in the end three. Did he win three titles and yeah, lose, look, lose two? Look, yeah. That's what I want to say. Look how that ended. He's got three rings as a coach. He's got three rings with the Bulls, and I think he's got two rings with the, the Spurs. So he's an eight-time champion as a player and as a coach. Well, Phil Jackson's a 13-time champion as a player and as a coach. But he was a role player in the 70s when he won two with, uh, with the New York Knicks. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't matter how many superstars you have. If there's no chemistry within the team, as you know, and, and if the coach is not being able to control that, that team and those superstars, um, that there's there's trouble. And here, other than other than the Blake Griffins and the James Hardens, you have Joe Harris, you have Spencer uh, Dinvidi, you have players that are, uh, as I said, DeAndre Jordan, who are amazing role players. They come off the bench, they they do what they have to do, and um, you know they shine pretty bright on on the Brooklyn skyline over the Barclays Center. So. You know, barring injury or exhaustion, you could split that Brooklyn Nets roster in two and you could have a Brooklyn one and a Brooklyn two. You could give two superstars to each and then three talented role players from the rest of the roster and both those teams would make the playoffs. You know, maybe you'd have them like around the four spot and the nine spot, uh, but that is how talented this team is. It's how deep it is. And you can't overstate the importance of that depth going into the playoffs, which is a grueling uh, non-stop battle. Uh, through these seven game series and you know what I think you really struck upon something interesting there about the coach maybe we detract or maybe I dis- just did by accident detracted from Steve Nash's ability to keep these egos in check as a player certainly a player of Nash's standing I mean for goodness sake when I was growing up after Stockton retired Nash kind of slotted into that role uh, for me as the guy I, I tried to emulate the guy whose style of play I enjoyed the most and uh He's been there. He's he's done pretty much everything. Unfortunately, he he wasn't still on the Mavericks when Nowitzki got them over the line, was he? He didn't win a championship with Dallas. No. Sad times. No. And he played the majority of his career, as I remember, at least with the Suns, and they never did anything. Of course, they're looking pretty hot this year, no pun intended, but this may be his chance to shine. Maybe he will right. be the next Phil Jackson. Yeah, he's not a champion. I mean, he's. I think he's got a. He's obviously an NBA All Star. It's seven, eight times NBA All Star. He's a, a MVP, NBA MVP in two thousand five, four or five, five or six. 
So he was a great player, but and he spent, yeah, with Phoenix, I think a couple of years, and then Dallas, and then Phoenix again, and then the Lakers, obviously, and that's where he ended. Um, but he just he was always at the wrong team at the wrong time. You know, he he just missed the Lakers and he just missed the the Mavericks as well um, as a champion. So to become a champion, so um, yeah, we'll see. I want to run through something real quick with you. I'm just going to fire out what we project to be the matchups and you give me the winner off the top of your head. Okay, I'm going to put Indiana into that eight slot. I'm going to get rid of the Wizards. Okay, so I'm going to say to you, as it stands right now, if, uh, if, it, if it looks like this when we enter the playoffs, will Philadelphia beat Indiana? Yes. Will Brooklyn beat Boston? Yes. Will Milwaukee beat Miami? Yes. Here's a tough one for you. Will the Knicks top the Hawks? Well, that's, yeah, that's an interesting one because the Knicks is on place four right now. Four. Four. The Knicks, the yeah. laughing stock. Mad. Um, Madness. Tough one, but I would love to see the Knicks triumphing over the Hawks. Yes, I would say yes. So you reckon that the seedings as they stand right now are going to hold and we're going to end up with the final four of the East Conference being the top four seeds as it is. So that means that Philly then hosts the Knicks in the next series. An easy one for Philly? I think so, yeah. And then we think Brooklyn's going to take down Milwaukee, although I have to say that Bucks team is dangerous, sneaky dangerous. that's 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 a tough one. That's a tough one. However, if everybody on the Knicks, I mean, sorry, on the Nets plays as they should, then I would say maybe in a six-game series, they're going to beat them. Right. And they're going to move on. So I would say Philly and Brooklyn on the East. So that is, you know, that's kind of as we imagined it probably to be in the West as well. I mean, uh, we're not picking any upsets here right now. We've gone entirely with seeding all the way through that, but it does seem so likely watching these teams play, knowing their matchups against one another. I can't look past that. But at the very last... In the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm definitely taking the Nets over the 76ers, whichever way around it goes. Again, if everybody is healthy and there, mentally, physically, all the big players and the role players and Steve Nash, then I, I see Brooklyn celebrating in a few months' time with the Eastern Conference Champions t-shirt and hat on. And you reckon they're going to take down, I don't know, are we saying the Jazz from the West? I know you have a no, sneaky I, love for the Nuggets, right? I don't, I don't think so. That's a, I, I don't know. I, I don't see Brooklyn right now being the champion. But that, that's to be discussed. I mean, once we get there, we see how they end up, you know. Right now, I mean, how they end up in the East Coast against all these other uh, teams. I would say they, they have a fair chance, but, but Utah is strong. The West Coast is is always strong. I think all. I honestly, I think that the uh, I think the real class of the league this year is in the East. Um, I really do feel that. I think the tide has turned, and I could see the top three in the East right now. I could see any of them beating any team in the West in the finals. That's my feeling. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but the East seems to be seems to be stronger. Yes, but. The Clippers is not a bad team. Remember who was in the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, and remember what he did in Toronto, which wasn't a good team back then. It was a sleeper team over the over the Warriors, right? Yeah, sure. So anything kind can of. happen. Kind anything of anything can happen. But that Warriors team was a shadow of the of the dominant Warriors teams that faced off against Absolutely. the Cavs yearly. But who knows what happens to Brooklyn by the time they finish Boston and then they finish Milwaukee and then they get into the the, the conference finals and they. They kill Philadelphia. People might be tired. There might be some injuries. There might be some internal, you know, chemistry issues within the team. Who knows? You never know. I think it's too early to tell. All right. Okay. It's too early to tell, but we're here to speculate. That's what we do. So if I give you a thousand euros and I say you have to put this on one team to walk away this season as champions, no backsies, who do you put your thousand euros on? Probably Brooklyn. Okay. Well, all the money's going to uh, go into New York. Then, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, look, it's fair enough to sort of question, can they hold it together? Can they stay healthy? That is a big concern. Can those egos be managed as they get deeper into the playoffs? Sure. I'm with you. But 
anyone betting against the Nets right now with the firepower they've got when they're firing on all cylinders and they've got everybody on the boards. It's madness, man. It's total madness. The team's a super yeah. team. You know, it's, it looks it looks like the starting all-star team for the East. It looks like the starting all-star team for the goddamn sure. NBA. So, sure. all righty. So I believe you have a little bit more uh, watch-centric news for us from the NBA. What happened this week that was uh, was worth talking about? Well, it's not only about the NBA, of course, but the, the, the Hall of Fame 2020, not 2021, 2020 inauguration happened. And um, I just thought we should mention the, the, the nine honorees that, that were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Obviously, this is not only NBA. This is also uh, college basketball as well as WNBA and FIBA. So I uh, just want to go through the names quickly. Uh, 15-time NBA All-Star, three-time NBA Finals MVP, and five-time champion. Who that? That would be Kobe Bryant. That's Tim Duncan. Oh. Because Kobe Bryant is an 18-time All-Star, only oh. two-time NBA Finals MVP, but indeed a five-time NBA champion. Hey, did so, Tim Duncan got three MVP Finals awards? Yeah, he's got more MVP Finals awards than Kobe. Oh, yeah, got me there, mate. Yeah, was, that's amazing. What a stat line. Good grief. Yep. Uh, Tim Duncan was bad in one thing, and that's marketing. It wasn't bad. He just didn't care too much about that stuff. But yes, Tim Duncan is is one of the of the honorees for this last year, 2020. Uh, Kobe Bryant, the late, great Kobe Bryant, uh, is another one. Kevin Garnett, 15-time NBA All-Star, 9-time NBA All-Defensive First Team, and 2008 champion with uh, the Boston Celtics. And um, that's already a pretty um, impressive lineup, right? Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and Kobe Bryant. You know, if only Duncan had just leaned on his surname, he could have marketed himself to the moon and back. Duncan. I mean, come Duncan, on. Duncan, Duncan. Duncan, It's just brilliant. Duncan Donuts, Duncan. Oh, yes. Yeah. You can always taste there the money. Go. Wow. <laughs> Here comes the money. Okay, so uh, other than these three greats, uh, Eddie Sutton, four-time National Coach of the Year, was uh, also inducted into Hall of Fame. Rudy Tomjanovic, who's a two-time NBA champion coach with... Oh, you're getting me here. At um, the Rockets? In 94, oh. 95, the, the, the gap years when Jordan was uh, playing the gap baseball. Years. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. that, isn't it? It's just amazing how, how sport writes these brilliant narratives that we get to enjoy decades after the fact. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah, so Rudy Tomjanovic, uh, two-time NBA champion with the Houston Rockets. He's uh, also one of the nine honoree. Uh, Tamika Catchings, a 10-time WNBA All-Star and four-time Olympic gold medalist. Of course, when you talk about Olympic gold medals, we can look at Kobe as well, and I'm guessing uh, Tim Duncan as well. Um, Kim Malky, three-time NCAA national champion coach, championship coach of Baylor. Barbara Stevens, five-time Division II National Coach of the Year, and Patrick Bauman, who's a longtime FIBA executive. So these are the nine people. Um, sadly, Kobe Bryant could not be there. So his wife had an acceptance speech. And, um, you know, every person who gets into the Hall of Fame can pick a person to walk him into the Hall of Fame, right? And then this is the person you see behind um, the player or the coach. Now. Sometimes the, that one person becomes a team. I can't remember who it was who chose the, the dream team. And everybody was lined up behind him. Um, it must have been Larry Bird. can't remember exactly. But anyways, this time, uh, Vanessa Bryant, Kobe Bryant's wife, asked Michael Jordan, her late husband's idol, to walk Kobe and her um, onto the stage and into the Hall of Fame. And Michael Jordan was, uh, first of all, gracious enough to do that. And he was wearing a very special wrist candy on his wrist. That if you watch it in 4K or HD, you might have spotted that. And that's a watch, I can say it's probably Jordan's favorite, at least in the last few years, because, you know, we've seen him wearing this watch so many times. It's from Switzerland. It's from Rolex. It has a blue dial. Well, you want to guess, Rob? Or you know what I'm talking about, which watch I'm talking about. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Don't forget to mention the bezel. Yes. It has a very distinct bezel. And if you look closely, you can see the dial, that there's a circular motif on the dial because it is a... Drum roll, please. You tell me. It's a Rolex Skydweller. 
yes sir it's a rolex Skydweller, which i think is the same watch he wore to kobe's funeral or the, at least as the um, event to the staples center it still it still doesn't sit with me at all that kobe bryant's dead and it's just odd um i He's mean not it's, dead, it's i know his memory will certainly live on and uh it's oh it's a horrible thing to suddenly reevaluate a young sports star's career through that prism but i don't know it just it, it hammered home didn't it just so soon after he retired like the greatness um of his play on the court and obviously he was a nailed on hall of famer we we've known that for the last 10 years and uh, a fitting tribute to be walked into the hall by the uh, the greatest player of all time himself and his wife, who I thought gave a very composed and um, beautiful speech, that must have been super difficult for her, um, especially given the loss, uh, not just of Kobe, but of their daughter as well. Really sad. So um, a fitting end to a fantastic career and uh, life well lived. And uh, yeah, what a class alongside him. That is, uh, that's, that's nine absolute superstars right there. I mean, you don't get much better than that. Right, and soon I th- I don't know if it's probably this fall they're gonna have the 2021 um, celebration as well the the Hall of Fame uh, or in presentation of the the we're gonna we already know who the 2021 um, inductees are um, Paul Pierce, Chris Bosh, Chris Weber those are the the headline names for the 2021 Hall of Fame class as they call them. Um, but well, let's not talk about this because, uh, it won't happen until probably later this year. We can definitely come back to that in another episode, a special episode if we want for the, uh, hall of fame Mm -hmm. 2021 induction. So let's move on from basketball. You're all done, right? I'm done, son. Next up on the list is baseball. Yes. Baseball. Of course. I'm not going to spend too long talking about the baseball season right now because we're right in the thick of it. There's a long way yet to go until we get to the end of the regular season. Regrettably, that lovely shortened season that we had in 2020 has been usurped once more by the full 162-game slate that we're going to be having throughout uh, 2021. So all back to business, as they say. Uh, I think that after the season's done, the fatigue caused by covering that, that number of games after a, a, a lighter year last year might raise the serious conversation of whether they should shorten the season permanently. Right now, we have around 45, 50 games played for most teams. And uh, this stuff is sort of pulling into shape. We're seeing some teams with surprising bursts out of the gate, particularly the Chicago White Sox, who are currently sitting on a 26-16 record, which is, well, amazing. It's a 0.619 winning percentage. Right now, that is second only to the uh, to the San Francisco Giants, who have a 27-16 win-loss record. So just uh, by virtue of them having played one game more, they've got their nose in front. It's, uh, it's bizarre to me um, for that. And the weirdest thing about it are the teams that keep losing. Every time I watch them play, they demolish a powerhouse. So I've been watching the Minnesota Twins a few times this season. I don't know why. Just they've just fallen into my lap. Games that were being aired live while I could watch a watch a game, and they have a fourteen twenty seven record, and yet they look when they're firing on all cylinders, absolutely smashing. So there's obviously a lot yet to come this season in baseball. Some of these teams dwelling in the bottom of their divisions will turn it around. And there's plenty of time to make some serious hay in the mid portion and the back end of the season and actually get a playoff spot. But um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be tough for anybody to bet against the uh, old favorites like the Dodgers. They're, they're doing all right. They've got a 0.581 percentage at the moment, 25-18, sitting third in the NL West below Slam Diego and the Giants, as mentioned. I think all three of those teams are going to make it into the playoffs and I think they're all pretty pretty dangerous once they get going. Have you been following the baseball at all? Um, a teeny tiny bit. A teeny tiny bit, I have to say. Not too much, but um, from time to time, I look at the stats, I look at the news and stuff like that. Yeah. 
So my team, the Washington Nationals, they are sitting at the bottom of the NL East with a 17-22.436 record, but they're only four games out of first. The top top place is 2017. That's the Mets. The way that these baseball stats work is like you have a column called games behind. It means how far you are behind the leader, how many games you need to win to overtake them. So 2017 is the record for the Mets and the Nationals. 17-22. If they win four games, they get up there right alongside the Mets. That's a really tight division. We got we got 0.541 for the Mets, 0.512 for Philly, 465 for Atlanta, 452 for Miami, and 436 for the Nationals. Anything can happen there, but I do not fancy the Nationals' chances of really getting out of that division. I think they're a pretty weak side. I do, however, fancy your team, the Padres um, from San Diego, who are sitting on a healthy 0.614 at the moment, to go all the way. I'm calling it right now. I'm calling it right now. We've got another Oh God, 120 games of the season or so to go. And I'm saying the Padres are going to win the World Series. Oh, that's a bold statement. That's what you come here for. That's what we offer on Wasp. Bold statements and uh, rampant idiocy. We have it all in true, spades. True, true. Could be. I mean, if they if they do win the World Series, then I'm coming back next year because um, I miss the city. But um, actually, just talking about baseball, I have I have some baseball news for you. Awesome. A-Rod, A-Rod and J-Lo is no more. No. Yes. So she's back on the market, Rob, if you ever want to. Well, maybe you don't, but I really you, do. I know your love life is complicated, so you don't want to you don't want to start How uh, dare you? My love life is not complicated. It's very straightforward. It's incredibly black and white. My girlfriend listens to this show, so let me just establish this. Balaz has made that up. It's pure fiction. As far as I'm aware at least, my love life is not complicated. Let, let me <laughs> let me rephrase this. If you go after if you go after JLo your love life will become complicated. Yes, it will become complicated, but, you know, so are many beautiful things in the world. Art is sometimes complicated. Watchmaking can be complicated. My mm-hmm. extramarital affair with Jennifer Lopez, no doubt, will also wreak complication upon my life. However, as a watchmaker, I am a fan of complication, and that's the kind of endeavor I could see myself potentially risking my entire life home, friends, family for, yeah. So, darling, if you're listening to this podcast, I love you. I'll be home at a regular time this evening, but if I suddenly disappear, it's because of J-Lo. I want a plane to Miami. I want a plane to Miami. Polishing <laughs> your Spanish. Hola, que tal? I don't, yeah. I do Roberto. Not. I don't think, well, you're going to have to write that down for me. I don't think my Spanish will get me very far, but... Um, she might love your, your beautiful English accent. Maybe. I'd have oh, to put on my best Hugh Grant impression. Um, that often seems to do the trick. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, what happened with A-Rod and J-Lo? I don't know. I just heard the news that they, they broke up. I guess it's not, not, not new news anymore. I think it's happened a few weeks ago. But yeah, let's not, let's not spend too much time on that. Uh, on a washed-out baseball player, a has-been baseball player and his ex-girlfriend. I wouldn't really ever refer to A-Rod as washed up, just retired, like gracefully retired baseball player and uh, his superstar, former paramour. What a shame, what a shame, although I'm sure they'll both be fine. They both seem like they've got their, their lives together quite nicely, so yeah. I think so too. What you don't know, the real wrinkle in this story is that I'm already the reason why they split. <laughs> yeah. wish. You didn't see that coming, did you? You wish. No, because it never comes. It will never come. <laughs> how dare you? How little faith you have in me. Of all the things I've achieved in my life, why do you think that I can't? No, 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 you, no, you, you, you don't see my point. She's not good enough for you. Ah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I could have told you that, but I'm a charitable soul. What can I say? Uh, I feel okay. like, you know, after, after A-Rod's permatand brilliance and his uh, completely purchased smile she could do with a bit of uh, old british dentistry you know to, a bit of charm in her life you know none of my teeth look like they know each other it's amazing oh, God. it's like a dysfunctional family in my mouth anyway uh yeah i i need to i need to quit my pursuit of jennifer lopez um and even discussing it on air because it's not going to end well is it really for me probably not my girlfriend's got an amazing reach you know She's got a mean hook on her as well, so... You know yeah. what Michael Jordan used to tell people? What's that? When, when they were defending on him, and they would try to block the ball, 
he would say, you reach, I teach, and then he would do a fadeaway. Are you suggesting that I, I try and pull that one out on my girlfriend when she finds no, out no, about Jayla? No, I'm not suggesting. Listen, I've never met her, and I still plan on doing it at some point in my life, so I don't plan on anything. I'm not, I mean, I don't suggest anything. Okay. I, I, I'm a nice guy. You're a nice guy, but like you, you're you're also encouraging some pretty pretty nefarious behavior on my part. And no, you know, I'm quite impressionable. I'm no, I'm not. Peer pressure. No, I'm not. I'm going to blame it on you. Entirely your fault. Okay. Anyway, uh, so I've made my baseball prediction for the season. It's going to be Slam Diego for the win. Um, I don't know who they're going to take down in the World Series. I don't fancy the White Sox keeping the pressure on here. So I'm going to say... The Rays have a good chance of making it back to the big game. I quite like the look of Boston. I certainly haven't ruled out the Yankees. And, uh, you know, I'd love to say Oakland, but Oakland has a special talent for messing up good seasons. So I'll leave them out of the equation right now. You got any feelings for the uh, for the American League? Who you think is going to come out on top there? No clue. But I'm happy with, with the Padres winning the World Series. So I don't care who they go against. Since we were just talking about A-Rod, let's, let's just say the Yankees actually like... Let's say the Yankees. Claw their way up. They're in fourth at the AL East right now, but they've got a healthy winning record and, you know, they're 1.5 games behind Boston. Um, that, that one right now is a toss-up. So, goodbye baseball. We can't wait to be back in the Stadia of America. Balaj, tell us about the National Hockey League. National Hockey League. So, Dave should be here with us because... The news that I have concerns Dave's team, right? The Edmonton Oilers. And, well, one specific player uh, from the Edmonton Oilers, and I think we both know who that player is. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid, 24-year-old sensation. So Connor McDavid just reached 100 points in 53 games, which is super fast, right? <laughs> it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's super fast. The last time this happened, it was done by a guy called Mario Lemieux. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's like he was like a mediocre, good hockey player. No, and then there average. was another guy. Yeah, it was average. Yeah, he was like a bench warmer. Uh-huh, and it was uh-huh. another guy called Yaromir Yager. Also, and, uh, the, never heard of these him. two guys. Nah, he's none of them are really good actually, or were really good. Now, luckily, they retired. Right, Losers. They just took up some space in the roster, anyways. Awful. And it happened twenty plus years ago. Okay, so. It, it has not happened since those two um, amazing players, although I don't like Jaromir Jagr, but still, um, credits where credit's due, as they say. So um, that was the last time it happened. Now, this is also the fourth time Connor McDavid did this before he turned 25 years old. He's still 24 years old, right? And he has done it four times already. Only two more in the league have done that. And one of them is Sidney Crosby, and the other one is Ovechkin. Wow. So what company? He's in pretty good, pretty good company. Before the age of 25, he has reached 100 points in 53 games four times already. I mean, this is crazy. crazy stuff. I mean, right now, Sid is 33, and he's playing really well. Those Penguins are looking pretty feisty, I have to say. Um, they stumbled out of yeah. the gate this year, and we had them in our, in our first NHL-themed podcast. We had them falling out of the playoffs. We had them missing playoffs in the fifth spot because we thought the Flyers were going to continue their amazing early season form and possibly be a Stanley Cup contender. Well, the Penguins made us look like fools by absolutely storming through their division and uh, ending up, well, the number one seed, which is crazy, crazy, absolutely crazy, uh, in uh, Mass Mutual East. Um, that stupid, mm-hmm. what do we call it? What do we call it now? The I don't remember what we call it. Oh, the, Stanley, the Stanley Cup division, was it? Was it that one? I want... I, the one with Detroit Red Wings as a Stanley Cup division, yeah. I, I can't remember. Wow, yeah, weren't the Red Wings quiet this year? They were so quiet. The, 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 the Discover Central, that's the that's the Stanley Cup division. Right. Um, so Crosby's 33 and Ovechkin is 35. So he's old, man. He's getting he's getting towards the end of his career, I'm guessing, soon. Surely surely he is, yeah. But he's still, he still has these patches of brilliance within the season. He's not on every week. Um and I think that there's a real chance that Ovechkin will play on until he gets, well, probably scoring record. I feel like that's uh, that's on the cards, right? Um, but oh, for sure. What is what is not on the cards for Conor McDavid at this point in his career? So he's eight years, or yeah, eight nine years younger than than Sid. What can he do? What can't he do? The sky's the limit. I think 
He's a, but the good thing or the, the interesting or the exciting thing about McDavid is not only that he's a brilliant or more than a brilliant hockey player, but he's like a super humble, nice, down-to-earth guy. At least that's what comes comes across when you watch interviews with him. You know, Ovechkin, well, if you ask people who know hockey and, and especially NHL and, and Russian players, he's, he's, he's a, bit of a, a bit of a different character. You know, um, I, I often find hockey players to be quite agreeable characters. There are exceptions, of course, like the real bloodthirsty maniacs, and uh, Ovechkin true. is certainly that from a competitive standpoint, definitely. But yeah, they, they don't come across as prima donnas very often. They can be arseholes, that's for sure. You know, you can get this guy as a bit of a cantankerous so-and-so, but they don't, um, they don't often come across as like uh, complainers or soft or, you know, no, anything else. No. Definitely not soft. Definitely not soft. But, but you know, he's just a nice guy. He's just a very humble, down-to-earth, nice guy. Okay, he's still young. He's still 24. But, um, yeah, he's got an amazing career already. And let's hope that he, um, he keeps on, you know, amazes us with his, uh, with his game and his uh, breaking records and stuff like that. But because this is a watch and sports podcast, we need to talk about his wrist candy. So, what watch do you imagine a Conor McDavid type guy would wear? Obviously, money is not an not an issue for him, but that's I think that's not how he chose his piece. Huh. Well, you know what? I actually don't have much of an idea. I kind of feel. Let me. I'm thinking sideways. I really don't know, but um, I would think that he. He's young, okay, so he's got money, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's into watchmaking in a big way, but I would assume by this point in his life he'll have bought himself at least a nice watch, maybe a few nice watches, but I would guess that he's gone for some pretty mainstream brands. I'm not going to suggest that he's a you know a real connoisseur like like MJ. I don't think there's any Irvirks in his collection or anything like that. Uh, I would guess that he's kind of into sporty watches, like steel-cased watches. My, do you want to model or can I give you some brands that I'm thinking of? You can give me some brands. Okay, so I think like the usual offenders like Omega Breitling is right there up in the top of my mind as something that you might like. Um, maybe a Panerai. I don't think he's a huge guy though, right? He's not like he's not enormous. No. Pretty uh, yeah. pretty trim. So maybe maybe Panerai is a bit silly, but something in that sort of wheelhouse. You know, I'm talking like a pretty visible well-known luxury brand steel sports watch that's what i see him wearing mm-hmm. so i don't know Get- and you're absolutely right um but you're absolutely right and actually um even panerai wouldn't be a stupid choice for him based on the watch that he was wearing i found this gq article about uh, him and um the watch that was that that was on his wrist was actually his, according to the magazine, and that was a Breitling or Bentley 6.75. Oh, was it really? How, in- how interesting. Yes. Uh, so actually, um, okay, I'm chuffed, I'm chuffed I got one of the brands, um, but I am a little surprised at that choice. I mean, that's a very, oh, that's quite a glitzy that's Breitling. A- They've got those big, like, and- knurled bezels, yes. right? Yes, and that's a huge watch. It's a huge watch, and it's actually on a, on a steel bracelet, so... He wears the watch on a steel bracelet, uh, at least in in this interview, or in the the photo shoot of uh, that was done for this interview. Um, so it it almost looks silly on his tiny wrist, you know, <laughs> big brightly for Bentley. Oh, I need to find I need to find an image of that. I can't really put it next to his face. To me, like a brightly for Bentley is, in fact, if if I if I can. Um, crow a little bit it's exactly the kind of thought process i imagined he might go through it's this kind of oh i want a, a fancy watch oh i'm gonna get a, a named brand okay he's gone for brightling and then he's looked at the catalog and he's gone okay now that watch that stands out that is in your face that is clearly a luxury timepiece and uh yeah i mean it's it's a funny choice i never knew myself who bought brightling uh, brightling for bentley watches i never Never got it. It was not something that ever appealed to me. And I love Breitling. Mm. I was wearing my aerospace yesterday. You know, that to me is like a, a, a solid Breitling choice. A chronomat, 
Um, hey, how about that new Red Arrow special edition that we reviewed on Fratello? How about that? That nice, is a yeah, nice, nice watch. Oh. Very nice watch. Yeah, I was half tempted. I really was. I really was. I I, I think it's a good price. Uh, I love the uh, colorful uh, decorated case back. I think the dial is to die for. That deep blue with the black subdials and black minutiae and the vivid red red arrow formation at twelve and the, on the hand, absolutely perfect. And that bracelet. Mm. Let's not sleep on that bracelet. But I just couldn't justify it right now. I got got too many uh, irons in the watch fire. But uh, yeah, I might regret that one. I think in years to come. Maybe, but um, I just checked. He's one eighty-five, so six feet one. 88 kilos and the Breitling is a 48 millimeter watch. 88 so kilos? Wow, that's not very... He's 88 kilos. That's not yeah. very heavy for a guy his height. Nope. He's uh, 13 stones and 11 pounds. Wow. Uh, or 194 pounds, 88 kilos, 6'1". So he's roughly my size, basically. And mm-hmm. he's wearing a 48 millimeter steel Brightling for Bentley, honestly, a bracelet. It's huge. Wow. Wow, bold choice from Connor. Um, I mean, I'm glad that he's already in the uh, watch buying sphere and he's, he's picked this one himself. It's not the watch I would pick for him, but um, definitely in, in, in the right ballpark. I mean, I'd give him that Red Arrow special edition. That would look really nice um, against the uh, old Edmonton Oiler kits with the redder, redder color on oh, the jerseys. Nice one. I would give him a Vacheron Constant now. Ooh. Classy, classy, That's classy. What I, would give him. I would give him a Vacheron, probably, maybe not a historique, but uh, yeah, something like a, a Harmony or something like that, you know. Very nice. Very nice indeed. You know what we could probably um, do? We should call Ivan Arpa of Artia and uh, get him to make a, a dial out of solid oil. Or some, you know, oil resin, you know, because he, you know, he loves to mess around with materials like that. Um, get some oil because of the Edmonton Oilers, of course, and then just create a dial out of it, or have oil running around like in a special sealed capillary within the watch, or bring HYT out of uh, <laughs> retirement. Out of retirement. Oh my god! And uh, oh, that would be a great watch for an oiler, wouldn't it? Hey, one of those black fluids that they had. They used black fluid on occasion, didn't they? Over a luminous track. That'd be gorgeous. Ooh. Yeah, it's a good idea. But Bring he's Canadian, so he could be melted ice, which is water. <gasps> water. How about that? Or yeah. timber. <laughs> With what? A plaid dial, like some sort of lumberjack <laughs> sort of like cotton dial. Yeah, okay. Let's just go for all of the uh, all of the stereotypes. Why not? Why not? We could have oh, yeah. Strap or he's got a Scottish of- name, so we could do like a tartan color. Find the McDavid clan and look up the, the tartan color. In- uh, go with that one, you know, Connor McDavid. But as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're 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 the Anglo-Saxon, not me. Back in the day, tartans were not colored, as far as I know. And the difference between the tartans was not the color, but the pattern. Is it right. true? I read it somewhere. So, um, I'm not an expert on uh, Scottish history, but from what I understand, tartan was worn as more of like a hunting or fighting um, cloth. And it was like a sort yeah. of often like muddy browns, greens, like camouflage effectively. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sort of light blues in there for the sky as well. The the whole clan tartan thing, I believe was kind of, it's a relatively recent invention. And I think that it's more of an English invention than it is Scottish and sort of bestowed upon these, uh, these names and families and a kind of artificially created heritage from what i understand it i think it's i don't know if it was done for tourism or just to like you know help people like understand like the scottish clan system a little bit better but there's some weird sort of potted history of tartan and how like genuine a thing it really is going way back uh in scottish history i believe that like it was one of the things that was frequently criticized with braveheart that like in that era i don't think that scots wore kilts at all i think they wore like trousers or something when they were fighting so um it's certainly taken on a life of its own. Um, maybe we should have a kilt podcast at some point where I can get some like actual Scottish people on here to correct me and tell me uh, what I've got wrong there. But yeah, um, I believe that the uh, McDavid family. Uh, I, I would actually, I would, I always thought McDavid was Irish, but um, 
I don't know. I'm sure they do have a, a tartan of some description, certainly in their locker somewhere. Could be, could be Irish. I think I read it somewhere that that is uh, Scottish. But in any case, it's some some uh, Celtic origin. Yeah, of course. And I mean, the name Connor as well just feeds into that as well. I mean, that's an Irish one. So yeah, we'll, uh, well, we can do some more digging into, into his background. Maybe we can get him on the podcast at some point to talk about his favorite tartans and what he thinks about tartan, the history of tartan. That'll be uh, fascinating. For sure. But before that, let's jump on the National Football League. Awesome. Your favorite. Yeah, my favorite back back in my court. Okay, well, it's been a, a busy couple of weeks in in the uh, football universe since we last spoke to you, dear listeners. We have, of course, got the 2021 draft in the books now. So the NFL draft took place late April, and we now know who will be playing where for the next season, at least. Number one pick overall was Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback out of Clemson. He has gone to the Jacksonville Jaguars. This was a nailed-on pick. For months, it was an absolute no-brainer. Lawrence is the most polished and pro-ready quarterback to come out of college since Andrew Luck, the former Indianapolis Colts quarterback. He has been compared to Peyton Manning as well, the Colts quarterback Mm -hmm. before Andrew Luck. It looks, for all the world, like he is walking into a system that will play to his strengths. Jacksonville also has a new coach, college football specialist Urban Meyer who will probably try and bring a similar kind of offense that Lawrence enjoyed in Clemson to the pro game. And yeah, this guy looks great. He's He's got a great action, uh, quick release, incredible intelligence. His football IQ is through the roof. You can see that when he steps on the field, the way he conducts his teammates, even in the minicamp practices I've been watching in the last week or so, he looks very poised. Nothing looks too much for him. I hesitate to predict great things for him out of a gate because he's still playing for the Jaguars and they've been a bit of a train wreck of an organization for the last, I don't know, um, eternity since they were founded. They've had a couple of appearances in the AFC Championship game when they've uh, gone on some crazy runs and looked decent for short stretches, but they've never put it all together. They've never won a Lombardi. They've never even played in a Super Bowl. Could this be the year? I think that might be a bit too much to expect from them, but they've made some really strong off-season moves. They also drafted Travis Etienne, a running back in the first round towards the back end of it. I can't remember the pick. It was like 24 or something around there. No, not 24, 25, I think it was. And he has been working out in the mini camps as wide receiver. He looks like he'll be a reliable target for Lawrence. And I think they kept a lot of the key pieces from their team last year. So who knows? That division is probably up for grabs this year. I feel like the Titans have treaded water the last couple of years and won it basically because nobody else decided to take it from them. The Colts have moved on from Philip Rivers and have brought in Carson Wentz from the Philadelphia Eagles, the former number two pick from the Eagles, who of course played a huge part in leading them to the Super Bowl that was ultimately won by his backup, Nick Foles, when he went down with an injury. Wentz is now a reclamation project. He looked completely terrified last year, completely clueless, didn't know what he was doing a lot of the time. Frank Reich, his former offensive coordinator at the Eagles, is now the head coach in Indianapolis, so he might be able to get something out of Wentz, but whether that materializes this year or not, I don't know. If it does, then the Colts have a real chance of being a Super Bowl contender right off the bat. They were a very good team last year and pushed the Buffalo Bills all the way in their playoff contest. Beyond that, the Houston Texans are in absolute turmoil. Deshaun Watson is now facing criminal charges for um, sexual misconduct accusations that have been made against him by multiple massage therapists. You know, the question now with Deshaun Watson, who for anyone that doesn't know, was one of the most electrifying talents in the NFL. He was um, absolutely one of the brightest young things in professional football. He was hoping to force a trade from the Texans this year and go to a ready-made contender. He really is a difference maker. He's someone that could put a team that has pieces in place for a championship run right over the top and take them to the promised land. However, the question now is not whether he'll get back on the field this year. It's a question, really, of whether he will be a free man in the next in the next few months. It's a, a shocking turn of events nobody saw coming. And obviously, we have to respect the process. We have to respect the uh, alleged victims in this situation while it is ongoing. For the first few weeks, while these allegations started to surface, mostly anonymously at that point, People were talking uh, as if it would all blow over very quickly and Watson would be traded or be back with the Texans next year. Now it's looking like it's going to take a long time to be resolved and 
like I say, these are criminal proceedings now. This isn't a civil case anymore. So uh, this is this is really serious business. This goes way beyond football. Uh, it's impossible for that to not have a knock-on effect of the mentality of the Houston Texans. They have a new coach who doesn't seem to have walked into the building surrounded by a great deal of confidence. This could be a horrible period for them. I don't anticipate good things. I anticipate them picking first in the draft next year, if I'm totally honest. And that does pave the way for the Jaguars to maybe sweep up the dregs and make a run at the playoffs. There is, like I say, that seventh spot available now. It's not impossible that they could be there. So I spent a little bit longer on that uh, draft pick in that division. Let's just skip down to, we'll do the next few picks just to run around, see where we're at. Zach Wilson went number two to the Jets. This was also a lock pick. Nobody had any doubt that Wilson was the Jets guy. They came out and said it very early on. He is uh, from BYU. Um, he is, uh, by all intents and purposes, a very promising young prospect. Very fresh-faced. Looks looks like the youngest quarterback you've ever seen uh, suit up for a professional franchise. But the hope is that he can get good coaching around him. He has Robert Sala installed as head coach. Adam Gase has now left the Meadowlands and looks maybe never to return to a head coaching position after a shocking uh, stint with the Jets. That was really, uh, really awful. Really ruined Sam Darnold's chance of having success there. He's been traded to the Carolina Panthers, who went ahead with the eighth pick and took JC Horn, the top rated cornerback in the draft out of South Carolina. So they're obviously all in on Darnold and believe that he can be a functional starter in the league. Talking of quarterbacks, number three, the pick was Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. I like Lance a lot. I think he has a lot of talent. He has very few games under his belt as a college starter. There was a smokescreen by the 49ers all the way through the build-up to the draft. They tried to project that they were taking Mac Jones, the quarterback out of Alabama, who ended up sliding all the way down to 15 to the New England Patriots, who I'm sure were glad to take him because of his physical and game similarities to Tom Brady. He's a statuesque pocket passer. Pretty accurate when you give him time. I don't think he is anywhere near as electrifying as the guy that went in the end. Number 11, Justin Fields to the Chicago Bears out of Ohio State. Fields, for me, is the steal of the draft. I can't believe that the 49ers didn't fancy him over Lance, given the amount of tape, excellent tape that Fields has put down throughout his college career. I think that this makes Chicago real, real dangerous, dangerous contenders. They got to the playoffs last year, amazingly, behind the mixed play of Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. And I think if Fields is anything like as dynamic as he was on the field in college, this is a team to watch. They could cause some damage. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. I think they will get to the playoffs as a wild card. And I think that Fields is going to be around for a long time. And if, if Chicago make some wise trades and drafts well over the next few years, this could be a force for quite some time, especially given the uncertain situation we find in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and his discontent with the general manager there. Before I dive on to number four, have you got any comments? Zero comments. I'm just listening and soaking in all this information from you. All righty. Well, number four then, Kyle Pitts. Many people regarded Kyle Pitts as the most talented player in the draft. So he's a tight end. Comes out of Florida. He is really kind of a tight end wide receiver hybrid if you look at his body and look at the way that he plays, but he can block. He is a highly rated tight end prospect. Looks like this guy is a nailed on Hall of Famer if he stays healthy and he has good quarterback play around him. He's getting Matt Ryan at the Falcons in the twilight of his career, but Ryan is still a very, very good passer. He hasn't dropped off a cliff at all, as you expect quarterbacks to suddenly do at his stage of his career. I think that the Falcons are now primed for a good season. I would anticipate them nudging just beyond 500. We have a new 17-game season, so the record I would bestow upon them would be somewhere in the region of 10 and 7. I think that's realistic. I think they'll be right around the edge of the playoffs this year. I don't think they'll make it in, if I'm being quite frank. They could easily be a 9-8 and eight team or an 8-9 and nine team. Sounds weird to say, but we're going to have those teams in the league. There's going to be a lot of competition for them coming out of the NFC West because every team in that division, the Rams, the Seahawks, the 49ers especially, if Lance is all they're crack, cracking him up to be, and the Cardinals, they're all like playoff contender teams. Absolutely. Number five, we have an interesting team here, Cincinnati Bengals. They took Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU, which is the same college that their quarterback, Joe Burrow, came from. Burrow looks like he's going to be a star in the league for years to come. He is a humorous chap. I watched some of his interviews on YouTube the other day, and he really impressed me with his uh, intelligence and 
self-deprecating humor. Um, he had a nasty injury last year, but he looks like he's going to come back um, even stronger than before. With Chase in the lineup, a guy he's already familiar with, uh, he'll have a field-stretching option that I'm sure will make the Bengals an interesting watch. They're in a very tough division, the most interesting division, I think, in football. That's the AFC North. They have the Pittsburgh Steelers, the formerly dominant Pittsburgh Steelers, who now are struggling to find an identity with their waning quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, still under center, much to the annoyance of many analysts around the league. They have the Baltimore Ravens, who are really one hot streak away from a Super Bowl, and they have the Cleveland Browns, which many would regard as the best team in that division now, coming off their unexpectedly deeper playoff run than than anyone predicted last last uh, year, uh, a run that ended at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs and wouldn't have ended at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs had they managed to hold onto the ball near the goal line on a crucial play that resulted in the ball being turned over rather than going for a touchdown. Position number six, Miami Dolphins going to the AFC East. That's Jalen Waddle, wide receiver out of Alabama. Uh, went a little higher than I expected, to be quite frank. But I think if you put some good weapons around Tua, he might be able to succeed as a quarterback in Miami. Slot number seven was Penai Sewell. The offensive tackle from Oregon went to the Detroit Lions. This means that the Lions really do want to build for the future, I think. They have Jared Goff under center, having traded Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams this year. So we don't expect the Lions to be going anywhere quickly. But I suppose Sewell gives Goff the best chance to succeed in the short term, and he's certainly an anchor for years to come. We already touched on JC Horn to the Panthers at number eight. Again, a bit of a reach and quite surprising for me that the Panthers didn't take Fields while he was still on the board, because I think that would have been a nice development project behind Donald and a luxury, an embarrassment of riches I would have grabbed for if I was Carolina. Number nine, Denver Broncos. I'm amazed they didn't take Justin Fields. Absolutely stunned they didn't take Justin Fields with a number nine pick. They took a very, very good cornerback, Pat Sertain the second from Alabama. He's a fantastic guy, but people that draft cornerbacks this high are really projecting that they're tweaking an already good roster. And Denver had some great cornerbacks, possibly the deepest cornerback room in the whole league. So Sertain works into some good competition. He's going to elevate that secondary, I'm, I'm sure. But wow, what a pass for Justin Fields when their quarterback situation is, I would say, less than ideal. Finally, number 10. It's the last one I'm going to talk about. Devonta Smith, wide receiver out of Alabama, straight to the Philadelphia Eagles. He is an interesting character. He does not have your prototypical build for a wide receiver in the NFL. He's incredibly slim. Uh, he looks like a beanpole on the, <laughs> on the field. Um, there's a lot of questions about his durability. There's a lot of questions about his strength. He has responded to them confidently in that if you play football in the right way and you catch the balls and stay out of the line of defenders doesn't matter how big you are. In fact, to be honest, I've watched this guy play in college. Uh, I have watched him, his elusiveness downfield, uh, his route running is really, really tight. He's got great body control. He's, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, he's six foot tall. He's only 170 pounds. So this guy, this guy is, is, is tiny for a pro prospect. Um, but I have to say he has all the hand skills you want. He's got the brain. Um, I think he can be really, really good. We just got to hope that Philadelphia can get him the ball. It's going to come down to Jalen Hurts, and he's a bit of an unknown quantity, but the Philadelphia Eagles seem to have faith in him. There you go. How was that? Round, round the top 10 picks of the draft at breakneck speed. I, I have to say I am impressed. I did the dishwashing, folded my laundry, took a 20-minute <laughs> nap, cooked dinner, came back, and you were still on, like, uh, I don't know, number seven. Nah, all jokes aside, it was it was fun. It was fun to fun to listen. I was uh, I'm I'm impressed. Maybe I should cut that piece out and send it to NFL.com as my audition tape. Good no, 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 no. Yeah, that's right. It wouldn't get me a job. That's for sure. But I've nearly lost my voice at the end of all that nonsense. I have a joke for you. I like jokes. Knock knock. Who's there? Two. To who? Actually, it's to whom. <laughs> it's a joke you like because you always give us this amazing uh these amazing tips on how to improve our language skills so there you go oh that but was especially for me oh i love it i yes, love it i mean it was a that was... special linguistic joke <laughs> oh man well that makes being the managing editor of fratello worthwhile all that hard work 
just so you come up with jokes for me, especially. I did come up with it. I read it somewhere. No, no, no. It's not my joke. I don't take credit for that. So we're going to wrap up the show now. We are going to be back next week. That's for sure. I think we'll probably dip into the mailbag while you're still on the road. Will you still be in Hungary next week, Balash? I no, I'm coming back to Germany on Sunday. So next uh, Friday, you'll be at my place and we record a live video. Probably not. Probably not next Sunday, but um, I'm waiting for my second vaccine. And as soon as I've got that, I will be moving around like a maniac. And uh, I can't wait to record that live show. I really can't. But in the meantime, we have plenty of questions lined up from our listeners. We'd love for you to get in touch and to ask us your questions about sports, about watches, about the game of life and anything else that pops into your mind. We've got some repeat questions from our previous listeners who we featured on the show. So I'm looking forward to reading those out next time we're together in the smooth booth. Until then, everybody stay safe and keep on ticking.